Welcome to the Believe Podcast, a conversation between friends over a passage of scripture. I'm Carolyn Kirsten. And I'm Marvin Williams. And today's episode is 104. Wow. Continuing our chronological look through the Gospels. And today we're focusing on Jesus's early ministry and his first miracle. Very good. Very good. So let me start with a question. Okay. How do you feel when you receive an invitation to an important event? You, you receive an invitation. Honored. And I feel okay. honored. Absolutely. Like, uh, I take and, and immediately think of like weddings yep. because ever since planning our own wedding, now even this, planning our son's wedding this summer, knowing that that invitation list is a select list. It is an honor to be included. Like for sure, there were other people that we wanted to invite, but you're just not able to. So to make the list. Yeah, I love it. I, I think that is a great, I, I feel very honored and I know that's a big deal. I feel, so. this, feel the same way. Feel like I've, um, that I'm, I'm a part of an exclusive club. Yeah. Um, and uh, I was um, invited to um, an event with, uh, with the Spartans and, mm-hmm. um, it was an exclusive event and I was, uh, selected among 10, well, it was 10, uh, 10 individuals, social media individuals. And I was one of those individuals mm-hmm. to come and, uh, and I just felt, I felt, I felt honored, like you said, but I felt like also I was a part of an exclusive club, a group of people to, yeah. you know, to come to an event like that. And so, um, so, so th- this the reason we're talking about the the whole invitation thing is because um, these chapters that we're covering today, there are a number of different invitations given, hmm. and um, and we even see that Jesus himself receives an invitation, which is kind of as kind of a different way of thinking. Mm-hmm. But we'll we'll jump into that. But uh, we're looking at these invitations that were. Uh, given, but uh, right right away, we are introduced with a familiar character. So we're looking at um, John chapter one verses thirty five through fifty one, and John chapter two, and we're introduced right away to a very familiar character, John the Baptist. Yes, John the Baptist had, um, you know, just like many others, had a uh, a group of disciples or individuals who followed him, and we know John the Baptist to be Jesus's cousin. We know him to be a forerunner inviting people to not follow him, but to follow Jesus. And so immediately we are faced with him. We, we are, we, we see him again and, and Jesus walks past. And what does, uh, what does John say? Yes. Yeah, so I, I do think it, I, cause you can, I would pick, picture this in your mind. So John is with his disciples. Jesus is walking past and John calls him a name, which I guess that sounds negative. What is- <laughs> He says, behold, the lamb of God. He calls him the lamb of God, which does sound like a strange thing to call someone, but was very significant. And why is that? Well, this is a reference to the Old Testament sacrificial system, um, Old Testament sacrificial system where lambs were um, slain or slaughtered to um, to forgive as a sign of forgiveness of people's sins. The uh, blood was sprinkled and, uh, and yet they had to do that year after year. And yeah. so they had to find the perfect lamb. They had to find one that was basically spotless, if you will, um, to take away the sins of the people. And so again, it was a system that, that they used and, and, and they would have to do this all the time. And it was a messy kind of thing. And, 
And so John recognizes Jesus being the ultimate lamb that would be the one perfect lamb to die for the sins of all of humanity, mm-hmm. and they wouldn't have to do it again. They wouldn't have to do it over and over again. And so this is a very, very significant name that John calls Jesus because um, it is it, it is a forecast of what Jesus will do on the cross where he will be the sacrifice for, for our sins. And so, um, so we see John saying that, and then all of a sudden, he he grows, or actually he doesn't grow. He loses people. He loses his followers who are following after him. He says, behold the Lamb of God, and uh, and right away he loses his entire church. And so he's he's, <laughs> he's by himself. So what what do you what do you make of that? Yeah, it is well, I mean, it is fulfilling the role that John came for. Absolutely. Though. He was the precursor to Jesus. Yep. So well, it does seem like, oh man, he was building all this influence. I mean, using, you know, modern day, he's got all these followers. Right, right. And then all of a sudden, whoosh, they're just following somebody else. But that actually was John's role, yeah. which he did know. Yeah. Um, he was not trying to continue to build his own following, keep yeah. people to himself. He was leading the way for Jesus. So when the Jesus says, hey, what are you seeking to yeah. them? And they say to him, rabbi, which means teacher, where are you staying? So then it does immediately shift to these disciples of John now are seeking to understand more about who Jesus is. Yeah. And so, so they, you know, they ask that this weird question, where are you staying? Which is a kind of a, a symbol and sign of, no, you, you are now our, um, you are, you're now our rabbi. You're now our master, which I love your point. Just put a pin there. I love the point that John wasn't trying to build his own kingdom. He mm-hmm. was pointing people to Jesus, which is, which is true of us as well. We point people to Jesus, whether they attend Trinity or whether they attend our group or not, as long as they connect with Jesus. Yeah. And this is what these individuals are doing. And then Jesus says something, which is, which I think is, is kind of cool. He says, Come and see, and you'll find out. It's mm-hmm. almost it's it's almost kind of Jesus is is um, you know the 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 middle school games. You know where are you staying? Well, come and see, you'll find out. And it's kind of almost with an attitude. And really, he was he was inviting them yeah. to get close. He was there's in, our first invitation. Absolutely, he was inviting them to get to know him mm-hmm. and know what he's about, and where they they are learning from him. They're learning. That um, that he is in fact uh, the Messiah, the one sent by God, and so I, which I which again I love he um, the the other the other thing that they end up staying with him, and the word staying is one of John's I believe one of his favorite words. He uses it in John fifteen. We know that word to be abide. Mm. So abide in me, and I'll abide in you. Same word, and so these. John's disciples, who are now Jesus's disciples, they come and they abide with him. They stay with him. And in so doing, they find out a little bit more about him and they get close to him, yeah. which is which is the desire, should be the desire for every follower of Jesus is to get close to him, abide in him, and so that we might know him better. Yeah, I do think it's powerful that Jesus invites them into a relationship. Yeah. He doesn't directly answer, where are you staying? I'm staying at the Holiday Inn. Yeah. Uh, he doesn't give them, he doesn't answer with information. He answers with that invitation to relationship, which in the context of that culture, the, where are you, that would be a, even their question is not really asking for information. It's the, I'm going to align myself with you. Absolutely. Um, and that's powerful. And then we see another 
invitation. Um, Philip, so Philip is then encounters Jesus and says, oh my goodness, this is the Messiah. This is who we've been waiting for. Right. He goes to Nathaniel and says, you've got to, you've got to come and see. He gives an invitation as well. Also on that same line, he invites Nathaniel to experience Jesus himself, yep. not just let me tell you about this guy, come and actually see him. Yeah. And then Jesus begins talking to Nathaniel and just like, you know, you thought you, th and Jesus says, Oh, I saw you under the tree. And, and that, that kind of, um, wows Nathaniel in a sense. And then Jesus says, Oh, you thought that was something. Just, if you hang with me, you're going to see something way cooler than what, uh, what that was. Mm -hmm. You're going to see, you know, uh, the son of man, you're going to see angels descending up and down. You're going to see this whole idea of me being the, the stairway from earth to heaven. And so, uh, so I love the fact that, that, that again, another invitation yeah. and there's an, uh, if we go back just a bit, we see Andrew following Jesus and then going to get his brother, inviting his brother, Peter, we know him as Simon Peter to come. Listen, we have found the Messiah mm -hmm. and, um, come and see for yourself that in fact he is who he says he is. And so we see all of these invitations in this, in this first chapter, and it's an invitation not to church per se. It's not to um, some, some cool concert. It really is to get to know Jesus and to, um, to experience him personally. And so. I think that's a, can be an encouragement for those of us that feel like, okay, I want to tell others about Jesus, but I yeah. don't know, I don't have the right words yeah. or I don't know the right things to say that the invitation, Hey, come and see, let's experience Jesus together. Whether yeah. that's, Hey, let's read through the gospels together. Yeah. Let's, I mean, you could even use this podcast as a tool, read those passages and then listen and then have your own spiritual conversation. It's the come and see and experience. Absolutely. It's not, um, convince somebody through a compelling argument. Yep. It's not, I need to have all the right answers, but come and see and experience for yourself. And that's how God works. Yeah. And, and I think one of, one of the things that gave them confidence to say, come and see is because they, they had encountered Jesus for themselves. Yes. And so they were, they were convinced with the compelling evidence that Jesus gave that he was in fact Messiah. And so really it, it comes down to it, it. It's kind of difficult to invite somebody to experience something that you've never experienced yourself. Mm -hmm. And so the first step is for us to experience Jesus. And it gives us confidence to say, Hey, listen, do you, have you seen the changes in my life? And I'm not putting myself up on a pedestal or anything like that, but Jesus has really changed my life. And, and if, if that's really real, then other people will notice it and say, I have noticed. And, um, and then they'll begin asking questions. And then that's our opportunity to say, hey, listen, come and see Jesus for yourself and what he's done for me. We believe that he can do it for you as well. Yeah. So. Another detail I think we can learn from this interaction, particularly with Philip and Nathaniel, is Nathaniel is quite critical of Jesus and says, you know, well, can anything good come out of right, Nazareth? Right, right. Like really questions. You're yeah. saying this guy is somebody special, but he's from Nazareth, which had a poor reputation. Right. There you there can't be. That can't be the case. That invitation to come and see, I think, is also a lesson for us in confronting stereotypes, conf confronting that's good. prejudice. No, that's really good. So yeah, 
actually, instead of just saying, oh, he's from Nazareth, well, actually come get to know the guy. <laughs> exactly. And you may find out that, that the stereotype, whatever preconceived ideas you had about a person based on their race, their ethnicity, their socioeconomic status, when you actually get to know someone and be in relationship with them, uh, those stereotypes cr- quickly fall away. And that Philip is inviting Nathaniel into that right here. Yeah, come and see. Actually get to know this guy. Don't yeah, just yeah, yeah. blow him off that. because he's from Nazareth. Absolutely love it. Now, uh, we have another invitation. Now, this is um, this is kind of a um, invitation to fun. Not that in, not following not that following <laughs> Jesus in the first chapter is not fun, but this is an invitation, another invitation, and that comes in chapter two. And so right away, we see what? There's a wedding. There's a wedding. And I do love weddings. We We love weddings. We do love weddings. (laughs) And I do love that John takes the time to tell us in chapter two, verse two, that Jesus also was invited to the wedding with his disciples. Like this, Jesus belonged there. That means he was in relationship with these people. Um, It also reminds us that celebration is a good use of our time. Absolutely. I mean, Jesus took time to do this. He, He was here to save the world, but he took time to go to this wedding to celebrate with this family. And I think that that's a lesson for us too. And I think it's, I think it, he normalizes fun. He normalizes Mm -hmm. this invitation, this invitation to a wedding. And I think sometimes people have preconceived notions about Jesus. He's kind of a stick in the mud and he didn't have fun. And he just kind of- We always have to be spiritual and serious. Exactly, exactly. He was in the temple all the time. He was at church all the time. And we see here that he loved going to weddings. He loved going to dinners. He loved hanging out with people. And, um, and so we get an opportunity to see an invitation that Jesus received, um, to come to this, uh, come to this wedding. Now, again, a wedding was a big deal. It was a, it was really a village celebration. It wasn't just, it's way different than ours where we send out invitations and we have, we kind of cut the guest list down because of expenses and those kinds of things. But first century weddings, the entire village was invited. Whether you received an invitation or not, you you could show up at a wedding mm-hmm. and um, because it was, in fact, everyone knew one, one another and it was a big celebration. So you have all of these people at this wedding and everybody's having fun. The music is going and everyone is having fun, but something scandalous happens, something that, that you, it, the unthinkable happens, and that is the wine runs out. Uh, wine was a symbol of, and uh, symbol of celebration and joy, and so the wine runs out the, at the wedding, and this was significant because you you just did not run out of food and you did not run out of wine. You could actually be litigated against hmm. if you ran out of wine, if you ran out of food, and so um, so Mary, um, you know, someone must have told Mary, "Hey, we have no more wine," and so she goes to Jesus and and says, "What?" and she- well, she says to the servant, she says, you've got to do something about yeah, this. That's right. And initially, initially he says, you know, hey, mom, it's not my time. Actually, he says woman, which sounds like a derogatory way right, to address right. someone. We talked about that when we did the initial season right. of this, um, when we did the book of John. Calling her woman is not like how we, right. that would be very exactly. offensive now. Exactly. It is actually a term of endearment. So yeah. it would probably be more along the lines of, oh, mom, yeah, my time has not yet come. But she tells the servants, do whatever he tells you to do. And you had a, a great insight into that I just, response. I just love that this is the heart of discipleship. Mm-hmm. Like, do whatever he tells you to do. Like, he he said, um, Mary just simply got out of the way 
and and he is the one who's in control now. And whatever he tells you to do, do it. And I love the fact that uh, at the very base and at the very heart of discipleship is obedience. Yeah. Whatever Jesus tells us to do, we do it. And and again, we all there's always resistance in us because we don't see the we don't we don't see the beginning from the end. We don't know how it's going to work out. And uh, and yet this is. This is a very simple phrase, but it's a very powerful phrase. Do what he tells you to do. So the question for me is like, what has Jesus told me to do that I'm not presently doing? Mm -hmm. Or what has he told me to do? And will I obey what he tells me to do? And so I just love the fact that Mary right away understands that Jesus is in control. And she even in this moment submits to her son. She's older than her son, but she submits to him as the one who knows uh, what's going to happen and what um, what what he she doesn't really know what he's going to do, but she knows that he's going to do something. And she just says, hey, listen, it's not my deal now. It's his. Do what he tells you to do. And I love I love that. Yeah. And so um, so Jesus begins giving instructions and. Yep. And says, fill these large, large jars. We're not talking like a gallon jug with water. Yeah. And then they start serving it and it has, the, it's no longer water in it. It's become it's wine. wine. Yeah. And I love this little detail in verse nine, where it says, though the servants who had drawn the water knew, nobody knew where this wine came from, only the servants. Yeah. yeah. And I love, I mean, this is Jesus's first miracle. He yeah. is not following what good business practice would say, like, come in with a splash. Be sure everybody knows you want to build your influence. You've got to, you know, he should have had the cameras rolling and right, all the right. rest, but instead, nope, yeah. nobody even knows except the servants who were like, uh, we know we filled this with water and now there's, it's become wine. Yeah. I just love how that just, uh, shows us that God's power can be known by anyone yeah. and everyone. Yeah. You know, the lowliest servant who nobody would give them any mind, but they were the ones that yeah. were let in on this miracle. They yeah. were the ones that got to witness and, it. And he's working when we don't even think he's working and know yes. he's working. Yes. And so nobody in the party knew other yep. than these uh, other than these servants. And John says, again, he says, uh, gives us a couple of details. This is his first miracle. And this is when he began um, to reveal, um, to reveal his glory. And, uh, that, and that's what the, I think that's verse, uh, verse 11. It says, this is the first of the signs. Signs is another word for miracles. And Jesus did, uh, that Jesus did at Cana of Galilee and manifested his glory and his disciples believed in him. And so we see not only was there a manifestation of the glory of God, the shine of God, if you will, this attention because of the miracle. I mean, this is, this is an amazing miracle where Jesus begins to institute something new, something different. Like I, if you hang out with me, I'm going to give you a joy that religion and legalism cannot give you. Yeah. It truly is a deep, uh, joyful relationship where he... So that's one area where he, um, where people see his glory. But then I think also there's a practical side to the glory of God, which is we see the spiritual side, but there's a very practical side. Jesus saved this couple from from financial debt, yeah. from financial ruin, and he terrible saved the, reputation, terrible, terrible reputation. So there's this sense where he does this miracle, and it is both this spiritual depth of mm -hmm. I'm, I'm ushering in something new. But also he protects this couple yeah. and Jesus does both. He, I, I love that. He cares about, not only does he care about weddings, he cares about young couples 
and them getting started on the right foot. And um, so, so, so I love this. I love this. This this first miracle and these invitations. And these invitations were not just for then, they are invitations even uh, for today. Come and see um, that Jesus is in fact the Messiah. Come and see for yourself to encounter him, get close to him, know who he is, hear his teaching, um, know that he is the stairway between earth and heaven. And then, man, if you hang out with Jesus, he will take your scam. You can bring your scandal, your scandal to him, and he'll turn it and flip it, and um, and we'll get a chance to experience in some him in some new and fresh ways yeah. uh, as we as we come and connect with him. So this chapter closes with a scene that the other gospel writers um, cover later. Yep. Um, and we've I think we talked about in an earlier episode that John's gospel was written later than the other three, and his it, he's not as interested necessarily in filling in the chronological details. Right. right. He has a story to tell about who Jesus is that he is um, God's son. And so he puts this um, event of Jesus clearing the temple right here. We go from the wedding to then Jesus clearing the temple. And I think it's a, and we'll talk more about it when we cover it with the other, the other gospel writers too, but I think it's worth it. And and John has a point here in bringing this about, but um, so Jesus goes to the temple for the Passover and he is deeply disturbed how there are people changing money, selling um, animals for the sacrifices. And he's flipping over the tables and is just um, very upset by the fact of how they are abusing and changing the purpose of what this church building is supposed to be. I think for us, a way that we can apply that in our own modern day is remembering that the church building is where we gather for worship. Yeah. Yeah. It's not for selfish gain. Yep. It's it. or personal benefit. Yep. Um, I think sometimes maybe we, you know, we're not coming to church to make a buck, but maybe we do come in thinking, okay, I got to get something out of this for this week to help me feel better. Yeah. And that, so I just encourage each one of us to examine our hearts. Like what is my heart motivation? What's my focus when I come? Is it to worship God and encourage others or is it just to get something out of it for myself? Yeah. And, and, and I, I think in when Jesus, um, you know, he says in this moment that he's consumed yeah. by the passion and, um, of, of the, the house of God or the temple. So there's this sense where, um, Jesus is, is is loving this, this this is a place where the the worship of God happens where the reverence of God happens and takes place and so Jesus is passionate about it and and hence he clears the temple of things that shouldn't be there mm-hmm. uh, he cleanses the temple and so so it, it started me thinking what is my passion do I have a similar passion? for the the place of God, whether that's this church, whether it's a church building or wherever we know God shows up, do I have a passion for the yeah. presence of God? Do I have, uh, what am I consumed by right now? Is it something that um, that is not pointing people to God? And so so Jesus has this 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 unusual, uh, passion for um, the, the presence of God in this temple. And uh, and I think it's a question for all of us to ask, like, what are we passionate about mm. as it relates to the things of God? And uh, and I, I pray that I would 
clean out anything that does that takes away my passion for God and His presence in uh, in my life, just similar to what Jesus did. And so, I think even even kind of in a in a kind of sideways, this is an invitation to to cleanse our own temple. Mm-hmm. Um, again, the building is a place where we we experience the presence of God. But right now, we are our bodies are the the new temple, if you will, the church people is the new temple where the spirit of God dwells. And those things that shouldn't be, I I think they can, those things, if we're holding on to them, they can actually keep us from experiencing the presence of God. And um, what do we need to clean so that we might, uh, we might do so. Yeah. Yeah. And then this chapter closes with some interesting uh, verses, verses 24 and 25. It says, but Jesus on his part did not entrust himself to them because he knew all people. And needed no one to bear witness about man, for he himself knew what was in man. Now, a wrong way to understand this verse is if you read it and said, Jesus on his part did not entrust himself to them. Like, wait, does that mean Jesus didn't care about people? Or he wasn't saying. No, it is not what he's saying. And and as we read all of the gospels, we see no, he was definitely in relationship with people. He's not remaining distant or aloof. But he does what he what that does mean is that he's not looking to people um, for his identity. He's not depending on their reaction to decide if what he's doing is worthwhile. Um, He's not focused on trying to please people. He understands who he is and that what matters the most is his relationship with God. Um, He's not falling into people pleasing or uh, being influenced by humans because he knows that's a foolish direction to go. So I think those are interesting verses that John ends this chapter with. I mean, so much here, so much, um, um, so much to encounter, uh, from, uh, from Jesus in these opening, um, these opening chapters of, of John that we, we saw or the, this whole idea of invitation. So what can we believe about, um, what can we believe about God? What can we believe about Jesus? What can we believe about ourselves? Uh, from these, uh, from this episode. Yeah. So there are a lot of different things. <laughs> yeah, that's so right, that's I think right. just to pick one, what yeah. stood out to me as we were just talking through was, um, yeah, maybe even tying in a couple. Mary's direction to do whatever Jesus tells you to do, yeah. along with looking at my own heart and what is consuming me. Like, yeah. am I, am I? actually stepping into obeying? Are there things that I know that God has directed me to do or not do that I need to step into? Is that what is consuming my heart is following him or, or maybe am I what Jesus was not in looking to other people uh, for direction? So I think that was one thing that stood out to me. Yeah. I I think for me is it's, it's, it's a conglomeration of, of all that we've covered. Um, Jesus, says to these men in the beginning, follow me. And uh, so I'm asking myself, where am I not following? Do I, um, you know, when our kids were small, we say, okay, do this. And they'll, they take their time to do it. And so where am I taking my time, dragging my feet Mm -hmm. to do what Jesus has asked me to do? Coupled with what Mary says, whatever he tells you to do, do it. Am I, and and again, I'm I'm really double clicking on what you said. Um, Am I following him? Am I doing what he tells me to do? Uh, am I am I sharing with others? Am I inviting others to come and see, and that that He is in fact uh, the Messiah? So I think that those are some those are some that have really impacted me. Am I following Him 
in inviting others to experience Jesus for themselves? Yeah. Or do I get afraid? Or am I, um, you know, will people even believe what I say or look at me strangely or funny? Or you're supposed to say things like that because you, you know, you're a pastor, those kinds of things. So, so really asking, am I inviting others and am I following him in a way that says I'm actually doing what he tells me to do? Mm-hmm. So, yeah. yeah. Well, thank you, friends, for joining us. And we do encourage you to offer an invitation, even this very week. Invite someone to have a spiritual conversation with you. 